Good morning and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. Oh, I love saying that. It makes me sit up straighter, Benny, straighter. That's I right. did that as, as soon as you first walked in. Did you? Because I'm like, oh, she caught me. I'm <laughs> slouching again. Slouching. By the way, um, <laughs> my, my producer, Benny Mathers, is magical. I'm just saying, he's awesome. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And I love working with him. So just and tell him that. that trick. I know, on the air. And he didn't even, you know, tell me to say that. It came from There's my heart. Slide of hand. That's what I do. You're Absolutely. looking over here and then underneath the table <laughs> over here. Anyway, I have a great show for you today. So I'm going to just um, make the brief, briefest of announcements mm-hmm. and then bring her on. So uh, as I said, I'm Loretta Brown. I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis. We've been in the greater Seattle area since... 1995, hard to believe, uh, out there offering all kinds of things for you. You can find out more about that at ReikiOasis.com. And also, um, you can now find my shows on Podcast One. They're still on SoundCloud. We're on the KKNW 1150 Mm -hmm. YouTube. Mm -hmm. And there is an app for those of you that have asked. Yeah, and going back to the Podcast One, you have all of last this last physical year uploaded, so That's catch up while you can. By the way, you can go to Podcast One and, and find the original Loretta Brown Show and subscribe so that you can uh, be notified when new shows are posted. I think that's awesome. Uh, we've got two things coming up I want to make sure I mention. Number one, the end of the year ceremonies called the prayer bundles or despachos. I do them every year. Everybody loves them. They help clear out the old energy and call in the new. I'm offering them December 26th or December 27th at 7 in the evening at Reiki Oasis. And you sign up at schedule.reikioasis.com. And if you're hearing this and you want to come, please sign up now because I have very limited space. And they do sell out every year. They sell out. So, you know, I, I've put it, I put it up there to the powers that be that, you know, perhaps I need a larger space and we'll find out what happens. And, and that's kind of in my intention to be able to bring uh, slightly different things to you. So anyway, Crystal Bowl concert last night was awesome. There'll be another one in December. And of course, the big announcement, uh, I'm going to Egypt, February 19 to March 4. I'm taking a group of people. The trip is almost full. I still have three seats left. And if you want information, send me an email. Send it to ReikiOasis at gmail.com. And I will get you the information for that Egypt trip. It is only, we we only take like 10 people, maybe 12 at the most. And this is a sacred trip. I believe the temples are alive. We do a lot of cleaning and clearing and activation work. And... This is Benny's favorite part. We're on a private yacht. We sail up and down the Nile. I don't think it's just my <laughs> personal favorite. It's not. It might be multiple people if they decide to go. But um, <laughs> it is a, a wonderful time. The idea is for us to open our hearts and join our hearts and, and really share a vision of who and what we can be on the planet at this important time. So Conveniently on a yacht. Conveniently on a yacht. <laughs> Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. I'm very thrilled today to have my guest. Her name is Penny Kelly. She is a writer, teacher, speaker, publisher, consultant, a naturopathic physician, and an author. 
She is the owner of Lily Hill Farm and Learning Center in southwest Michigan, where she teaches courses in developing the gift of intuition, getting well again naturally, and organic gardening. Back in the late 1970s, Penny was an unemployed mother with four children on welfare trying to study for a pre-med degree when her life literally began to fall apart. She had a series of kundalini experiences. She got divorced. And then one day, amazingly, little men in brown robes began appearing to her in her kitchen, her bedroom, her living room, and they started to show her images of the future. Penny was a reluctant recipient of the stunning information of the changes coming up that the robes gave her. And she's gone through an awful lot in those last 40 years. Penny has been uh, researching the brain, consciousness, intelligence, intuition, perception, and cognition. She currently has co-written or edited 23 books with others. She has written nine books of her own to involve, to include The Evolving Human, The Elves of Lily Hill Farm, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes, Getting Well Again Naturally, and Her Consciousness and Energy, Four Volumes. Today, we're going to be touching on her book, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes. And I'm just going to let you know already, I'm going to have her back because there's just way too much information here. And really, really focusing in on her book, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4, Trump, The Sting, The Catastrophe Cycle, and Consciousness. Welcome to the show, Penny. Well, it's good to be here. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad, and I'm laughing at, you know, trying to say catastrophe was a catastrophic thing for me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's a long subtitle, and people do stumble over it. I debated, should I leave this much more simple? And it was like, no, I need to put it all in there. Yeah, I think it draws us in because just the word Trump, you know, can make people's hearts uh, flutter in, in either a good or bad way, right? Yeah, that's true. There's a little passion there. Yeah, definitely. I don't think any of us are neutral to that. Yeah. Um, before we get too far into your book, which, boy, we have a lots of wonderful things to cover, um, I would like you to just sort of lay a little foundation with the robes and tell us a little bit about who they are, wh- how they, what they brought into your life, and perhaps, m- perhaps there's information from that book that we need to have as a, uh, a ground, uh, a standing stone for what we're going to talk about today. Okay, um, yeah, I I think that would be helpful. Um, your story of my life there was a little bit. The order was out of order of the pieces. <laughs> yes, it was. Thank you. <laughs> you know, but I was actually, um, at, in 1979, I had been a, an engineer for Chrysler Corporation for a year or two at that point, and, um, and I had this massive kundalini experience, which I had never heard of, didn't know what it was, and one of the results of that, an awakening, a full spontaneous awakening of kundalini is a massive awakening of consciousness. And you become, um, well, let me say it this way, you have unlimited consciousness. There's no boundaries. 
um, everything is possible. You see through space and time. You know what people are thinking. That's a frightening thing, let me tell you. <laughs> um, there's just so much. You're in and out of various reality systems. And so one of the things that occurred was this group of little men in brown robes. They were probably about as tall as I am, which is about five feet two. And they were very bright. They glowed and they would appear and, and disappear in my kitchen or my living room. And they would always say, we would like to show you some pictures. And, and I wasn't interested. Um, I didn't care. I just wanted the whole uh, drama that was happening with my consciousness to settle down and go back to normal. And, and so long story short, finally, after several visits, I said, okay, I'll look at your pictures thinking they would go away, but they didn't. And, um, and they proceeded then to visit over the next two years. And each time um, they came at the future from a different perspective, different information, different uh, time that they were showing me uh, different results of things. And but but let me say this: the piece that ties into Volume Four is right at the very beginning, the very first visit that they, not the very first, the very first time I agreed to look at the pictures. <laughs> they took me out into space so that we were out at the fringes of the solar system. And or at the fringes of the atmosphere, I'm not sure where we were, but we could see the whole Earth like it was this ball um, hanging there in midair in front of us. And all of a sudden, it started to roll back and forth. And, and it kind of looked like a beach ball on the ocean, you know, bouncing around. And, and, um, and I could see the oceans splashing. Oh, my. I could see huge amounts of destruction. I could see a lot of things that were not good. And, um, and, and yet I was distracted from that by the little men in brown robes who said to me, um, the earth is a living being. And I was so stunned by that that I was not into metaphysics. I did not know anything about psychic abilities. I didn't know anything about consciousness. And I was just like hypnotized by that one sentence. And it kind of distracted me from, you know, what I was seeing on the planet. But um, the conversation that followed that, uh, that comment was uh, was very critical. I didn't realize how critical it was until just this last year, maybe year and a half. Um, and that the conversation was, are you ready for, uh, you know, what that this is the way the earth gets cleaned up, heals herself, corrects problems for herself. And are you ready? And are you sure that you could live without electricity? Are you sure that the high dam and the nuclear plant is the best way to get electricity? Uh, you know, if you're thinking that you're always going to have electricity to make your homes livable, uh, what are you going to do if you don't have it? And, and questions like that. And then, and I was pretty much, you know, unable to say anything. Um, and when the whole meeting came to an end, I was like, well, what was that all about? Um, and I thought they were done. 
they continued to come back and come back and come back, and each time showed me something different. And so um, for the next two years, I would have these amazing experiences that I didn't know what to do with, so I didn't do anything. Um, and I was I was trying to get my consciousness under control and get my perception to go back to normal, and that wasn't happening. And then finally, um, it, finally they stopped coming around. I was, I think, at that point, fairly stable. And and about eleven years later, they came back and said, "We want you to write that down. What we showed you. Write down what we showed you." And I was like, "No." I don't, why would I do that? And they said, because you wanted to be a writer. And I thought, I hate that kind of book. I'm not right. And what, you know, what if none of that happens? And they, you know, they kind of convinced me I should write it down. And so I spent a couple of years actually um, trying to go back. And um, most of the information was experiential telepathic. Um, that means they weren't just telling me stuff. I was actually in the scenes. I was able to see, hear, smell, taste, touch, walk around, examine, etc. And so I, I would go back. I would remember a scene, and then that would trigger the memory of a whole bunch of other detail. And in their words, um, a lot of their words were just imprinted in me, and, and they were quite right when they. I said to them, that's been too long ago. I don't remember. And they said, no, that's not true. You've been trying to forget for 11 years, and you haven't succeeded. Write it down. <laughs> and so finally I I put that book out in 1996 or 7. I think the first copy was in 96. And then um, a bigger printing in 97, and then a bigger one in 2005. And I cleaned up the language. I was practicing being a writer, so the first two copies were um, not as smooth grammar-wise and punctuation-wise. But um, I haven't really done anything with it since 2005. And now what we see is almost everything they said is uh, is right in our face. So, wow. yeah. so I've gone on to write other things since then. Volume 4 was the one that connected back into um, that very first uh, scene that they showed me, which was the planet rolling around. And, um, you know, I, I look at that now and I go, oh, wow, oh, wow. Let's, what, if, what if that happens? So, um, so that's basically it. That's the connection between the robes and Volume 4. That is powerful that's that's so good thank you for that um mm-hmm. you know i've had these experiences also um with my guides where it's experiential and telepathic like you are in it and you can move around in it and also uh, yeah. i so agree with you when these things happen it is like some kind of a weird imprint or if you go back to what that is because i've got things like i don't forget like certain visions or certain information and if I go back, it, it even unfolds itself more somehow. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's the whole, the whole thing, the whole reality is an evolving reality, and it's much more dynamic than people think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always say it's undeniable. Like, once you have these experiential things, you're like, it doesn't matter what people say. It's in you. You, you got it. Right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. 
uh, I usually say to people, it's like sugar dissolved in a cup of tea. You can't see it, but it's in there, and you can, you know, there's a flavor difference. So, so I, I want to ask what it's been like for you to go through these years where the the things that the robes tell you have actually come about, and is there any one thing that really stands out for you as an example of that? And um, I, I, No, it's a lot of things. Yeah. Okay. A lot. Um, at first, I tried to track uh, what was happening in reality because I wanted to see. I was sure they were wrong, and I was going to prove them wrong. <laughs> and so I was kind of watching, um, but things just weren't panning out. And so I was busy. I had four children and some grandchildren, and we had a farm and a vineyard, and I was teaching classes in how to develop and use intuition and consciousness. I was trying to write. I was doing a lot of things. And then I don't know what it was. I think it was at some point um, when George Bush Sr. was elected president, I kind of started keeping an eye really closely. I mean, I had kind of watched what happened you know, in the political scene from from the time JFK was shot. And, and I remember crying about that. And then, you know, watching what happened with Nixon and then, you know, Gerald Ford and, and each one, Carter, and, um, and thinking to myself, I, I really don't care about politics. Who cares? Why would anybody care about that stuff? And so... Um, but I was—I didn't realize until this last few years that I was really watching much more closely than I thought I was, and um, that whole thing—I I didn't know why I was getting more and more interested. But eventually, I figured out that um, leadership has a profound effect on the consciousness of the people, mm-hmm. and what I was seeing was that consciousness, because that, that's where my interest is. That's where my expertise is. That's where I work and, and what I am still exploring. And what I kept seeing was that the consciousness of people was, was falling. It was becoming dysfunctional. It was becoming angry. People everywhere were becoming cynical, especially um, when George Bush was president. It, there was a massive drop-off in the quality of consciousness and in the expression of what I'll call love or patience or compassion or whatever. And I was upset by that. It was like, oh, wow. Um, I don't really, I, I, I don't really want to get involved in politics, but I don't like what I'm seeing. And so I was um, just really watching more and more, the more that I watched, the more I started seeing things that I, that I thought were unethical. I thought were not, I would hear one thing, and then, you know, politicians would say one thing, then they would do something else. And then I started noticing that no matter what the people said, it never happened. Nobody in Washington was listening. And I thought, okay, so we're not listening to one another. When the leadership does that kind of stuff, 
starts to do unethical stuff, gets involved in heavy-duty corruption, begins to ignore what people are saying to them, that consciousness filters down into the population. And when the leadership shows that we can get away with this, that's exactly what happens in the consciousness of the greater population. They began to do the same things and think we can get away with this. And now what you see is road rage that's beyond belief, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. people are trying to screw one another. People are not fair. People are not patient. People are just, um, they're frightened is really what it comes down to because they don't have access to the leadership, and the leadership has not been responding until Donald Trump came along, and then now we have this tremendous split, so... Um, you know, it's it's really um, that research into consciousness was really what got me started into noticing and trying to figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And then there were key people that I met over the years. Um, a big, you know, one of my best friends until he died um, was this big black man that was uh, an educator and a psychologist at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, because I live near Kalamazoo, Michigan. And he was a black belt martial artist, amazing guy. And he had worked in the Terre Haute, the federal penitentiary at Terre Haute, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, they're taking young men and they're um, putting them in prison and they are just, um, they're doing it for no reason. It's a its a business. They make these prisons, they're private prisons. You know, he was going on about that, and I was like, what are you talking about? So there were people like that who came along who were um, intimately involved in something that gave them an inside view to what was happening. And I, in my conversations with them, would, um, you know, ask what they were seeing, why they thought that, and they would explain it, and then I would see it too. And and so I started seeing this um, really serious kind of corruption that was happening everywhere, and the prisons were just one tiny piece of that. So, so everything sort of, um, you know, and I want the listeners to know in your in your Consciousness and Energy Volume 4 book, uh, I really recommend people get it and read it because you lay out the, in there many, many details that we, we're, we're going to cover what we can in the show, but there's a lot more there. And I also want to say to the listeners, um, I think that when we're talking about politics these days, there is such a, a, a polarity that I'm going to ask all of you listening to o- listen with an open mind. I, um, you know, my my guides basically told me Trump was going to win, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, no way. I, I felt very traumatized. Like, what happened? What parallel reality did I just fall into? Right. <laughs> and I I've I've come to some realizations about that. Um, I I don't like Trump. I'm just going to say that. I don't like what he stands for. And yet what you just said about the consciousness and the leaders reflecting the consciousness, I think is really, really important for our discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. I think we have to 
begin to be our own leaders in some ways. Um, we've gotten into this uh, habit of thinking of the president like we think of a Hollywood movie star. And it's not a movie. It's our real life. And it's not a personality contest. What are the skills? What are the abilities? Right now, the U.S. is absolutely schizophrenic. We have split. Sometimes we are rational. Sometimes we are utterly irrational. People don't realize we have two governments. There's the Trump and the military government. That is one side of the U.S. Then there is the cabal and the corrupt side. I don't know what else to call them. Um, but the side that the mainstream media is pushing, and I listen to both sides, and I, I, I have to say, when I'm listening to the Trump side of things and the reporting going on there, it all makes perfect sense. When I go over to the other side and I listen to mainstream media and how they're reporting it, I think that that all makes perfect sense. But it's a different reality completely. We are not one country at this point. And so there's this de facto split. And one of the things the little man in brown robes said was that the U.S. would break up into regions. And it would start in the northwest, right where you are, come down California, slide over to Texas, and that break would, um, you know, would be the first break. And then there, um, there was another break uh, in the southeast, and then there was a break up the east coast, and and then there was this chunk in the middle. And I thought, well, I I just don't think I want that. I don't like that. But I see us heading straight toward it. So we have to, I think, realize what they, the robes said many times, you are creating your future. What do you want? What do you think would make a nice life? Think about that. Take responsibility for creating your future. And... uh, we nobody is really taking responsibility. I mean, there's a few. I see some of the efforts um, that are happening out there, some of the groups that have formed to try to figure out where do we go from here and how should this be working. And I belong to a couple of groups that are working on that. But, man, there's a long way to go. Yeah, yeah definitely. So we're going to take a little break, and this is Loretta Brown, my guest today is Penny Kelly, and we are talking about her, her book, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4, Trump, the Sting, the Cat- Catastrophe Cycle, <laughs> and Consciousness, and also her book, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes. Uh, don't go away. We're going to come right back with more information. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. 
Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show. My amazing guest today, Penny Kelly, and we are talking about her book, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4, Trump, The Sting, The Catastrophe Cycle, Woohoo! and Consciousness. There's hope for me, Penny. There's hope. Yes. All right. So um, early in your book, you outline, outline something you call the plan. What is the plan? And where did you get that information? Well, the plan was just the observations that I had made. Um, one of the, the plan is, consists of a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, the, it, this was the plan to collapse the U.S. and create a new world order. So they had things like get control of all the banking and the financial systems and develop the flash markets. That's your pedophilia and your mercenary soldiers. Um, you know, start moving the center of power from the U.S. to China, take over the Middle East and control the oil, get control of all the media. And, you know, they did that using Operation Mockingbird. And then um, they, had, they also developed a network of psychiatrists and psychologists who were skilled at splitting people into multiple personalities and then programming one of those personalities to shoot on command. So there was that, and then they, they planned a whole bunch of false flags. They got control of the presidency, um, the Supreme Court, the whole district court system, um, all of that. They put in judges who were very definitely um, able to be bought off. So then they yeah. got control of agriculture and seeds because their um, the long-term goal was to have control over the food supply. And as a long-term farmer and gardener, I noticed that right away. <laughs> I was like, holy cow. I, um, I want to I butt in for just one minute because yeah. I'm hearing in my head, who are they? I know who they are, but if you could qu- quantify for the listeners, who are they? This was a um, kind of an unofficial network. Um, they are the, there's three families that were um, kind of at the base. These three families are called the three families of the pyramid. And you've all seen that pyramid with the all-seeing eye. The Rothschild is one side of that, that triangle. The Rockefellers were another, uh, or the Saudis. And then the um, I, Soros. the uh, Soros group was the third one, and even though the um, Saudis were worth the most money, like four billion, it was the um, Rothschild Rockefeller side which was uh, only worth two billion or trillion. Maybe it's trillion. I can't remember if it's trillion or billion. Um, they they were the ones that um, were kind of in control. They were the mind uh, controllers. So, And and each side of the triangle had certain things that they would um, take care of. So um, the Saudis took care of energy, anything to do with energy. Um, The Rothschilds and the Rockefellers took care of anything that had to do with money and banking. Soros and his group took care of anything that had to do with manipulating population. And all the rest was fallout. All the rest were people who had been bought off, people who were typically um, 
unstable, I guess is the nicest way I could talk about them to begin with. They were willing to um, take money to do unethical things, or they got paid with um, sexual favors that were non-standard, or they had, if they had some kind of fetish for children, they had the uh, freedom to go to certain places and um, do what they wanted with children. And that whole group, all of them were kind of, um, they fall under the banner of Satanists. They are worshiping an ancient kind of religion that believed in uh, human sacrifice. And the other side, the side that they're, that is fighting against them, is Trump and the very, 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 very Christian military in the U.S., which is a very powerful, um, that, that Christian, the way I see it, that Christian side could no longer stomach watching the kinds of, of corrupt practices involving children and state slave trade and child sacrifice and things like that. And so that's, there's a war going on between those two factions, the triangle families, that's the cabal, and all their minions down the line, minions being all the Clintons and, you know, all of those kinds of people, the Bushes, um, and then the, um, the hope or the, the struggle actually is, if you, if you look at it from a distance, it looks like there's a war going on between the billionaires, um, Trump and his people and his military on one side, and the cabal and their military, which are mercenary, and their um, minions, you know, on the other side. And they're trying to take out one another's corporations. And we'll see how that goes. Uh, and we, the people, are kind of watching this. And, you know, both sides have their media. Trump has his Twitter and a few newspapers, alternative newspapers, that certainly have done an amazing job of trying to counter the stuff that the mainstream media is putting out. Uh, the mainstream media and the Democrat side, the people who have been bought off, are most, are, they're both sides, Democrat and Republican, but the Democrats are doing the acting out. And they really don't care whether the U.S., I mean, their goal is to collapse the U.S. and make a one-world order, and they're going to be part of the controlling uh, order, they think, they hope. And so a lot of people are being whipped back and forth and by, by media, and they don't really know what's going on behind the scenes at all. And I think that's tragic for us. That's not good. You know, we were talking during the break, you and I, about um, taking responsibility, you know, for for our our lives and our, our world. And one of the reasons that I have Penny on my show today, um, telling my listeners, is to uh, get all of you to sort of open up your minds to take a look and become uh, involved and become educated like you can uh, read her book, and you can research all of this. I, I find it interesting that, yes, there's a war. Um, some people would say it's a war between good and evil, and yet um, I I see, um, <laughs> if we're talking about morality, um, you know, that's always been one of the things that's bothered me is is how 
you know, how corrupt everything really is or how immoral at both sides can be, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion. I, I want to get to more of that in just a little bit. But regarding the election of President Trump, and I want to bring this out, you write about the trickster setup. <laughs> yeah. Please talk about that. Um, okay. The trickster setup is a setup in consciousness. And it's similar to you have to kiss a frog in order to get the prince kind of thing. So a trickster setup is when a population or an individual, could be an individual, has something very serious that they have to, and they have to make a choice. And one of the choices looks very nice, it looks normal, it looks ordinary, um, there's a lot of smooth talk. Um, it, for those who aren't really listening and who aren't um, very, they aren't very deep, they would go with the surface stuff because it appears. You know, that's just how things appear. Looks good, looks good. Um, and then there's the other choice, which is something that's off the wall, looks messy. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. All you know is that these are the two choices. And you've been making this one choice on the one side that looks nice for a long time, and it hasn't been working at all. And so you end up choosing the other side just to do something different. So the population of the U.S. had to make a choice in consciousness that signaled we're ready for something different. We're tired of this corruption. We're tired of the manipulation. We're tired of being played like secondhand fiddles. So they choose Trump. And it was really quite a few people who chose Trump. That then was followed by this period of time. A trickster setup is once you make the choice, then you get tested. And the test was uh, watching Trump appear to look like there was chaos in Washington, appeared to put people in place who were part of the same criminal and corrupt operations that we've always had, and uh, watching this turnover, et cetera. And, and we had to go through that test. Do we still believe? Do we still trust our own choice? You know, what are we seeing here? What's happening here? And so what? at that point I was watching and it was really seriously trying to figure out how we got fooled, why, why Trump was putting the same old corrupt people in position. And, then, and, and that was happening all through 2017. And I got to 2018, and I was trying to, I thought, let me write down all this stuff about what I see happening. And that's when I first identified, oh, this is a trickster setup. We're being tested. Do we still believe? Um, that we made the right choice, because after you have the test comes the action. Now you have to act differently. So it's a, you know, you have a choice, you have to choose something new and different, then you have to stand your ground, and then you have to defend your ground. And so that's what I see happening in terms of Trump. Um, and, and I figured out 
Uh, by the time I got to the end of January, I realized that Trump's uh, decision to put this guy in, you know, the, from Goldman Sachs or that guy who was, you know, a corrupt public defender or this, you know, whatever, people all over the place, he was putting the corrupt people in place as if nothing was different. But what he was doing was collecting data, catching them firsthand, doing their corrupt things, doing their treasonous things, making their phone calls. He was collecting all of that data. And that then becomes the basis for prosecution or, at the very least, saying um, that, that you stop that. You stop that or you're going to jail. We have everything on you. We have proof, we have tapes, we have audio, <clears throat> and um, and they started taking people down. And that was what happened to Eric Schmidt, head of Google. Um, he was caught supporting um, <clears throat> the cabal and working with North Korea. Excuse me. <clears throat> so, um, and there were many, many others. There have been 7,000, the last time I looked, there's probably more, 7,000 uh, sudden retirements. Paul Ryan. Why would Paul Ryan suddenly drop out of politics? He's at the at the peak of his career. It was because he was on the wrong side, and he they the Trump team told him, either step down or you're going to jail, and so he did. And you know, at least all kinds of of senators and representatives who said we're not going to run again, and so at that point I realized he was. Trump had set up this massive sting, and he was um, giving people, uh, the corrupt people, enough rope to hang themselves, and they were hanging themselves. They didn't realize that the game was up. So at that point, I became fascinated with the whole thing. It was like drama uh, on a massive scale. It was kind of, I, I think I wrote in the book, it's like watching an Agatha Christie mystery <laughs> novel unfold in real time right in your face. Wow. There's so much in in what you're sharing, and there's so much you're not sharing that is in your book, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4. And I, I really encourage the readers, uh, the listeners, to uh, take a look at it. But I want to I make sure we can move into um, the, the catastrophe cycle, because this is, this is really important, and everything you're saying is important. It, it 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 occurs to me in reading the book and also in uh, just you know what I know about you that there was some point where all of this you know cabal deep state shadow government um, you know the Q Q information all of this and the two sides everything started to collide together and then you discovered something else that sort yeah. of shifted your focus what was that. Yeah, that was the um, catastrophe cycle and the micronova, and it was actually the uh, the whole situation in in our country was becoming overwhelming. And then my first husband and the father of my children died on Christmas Eve, and and it, we were so um, thrown by that whole thing, and I was already overwhelmed with all the political stuff. And I thought, let me just get on my treadmill and do something different and find something interesting. And so I get on the treadmill, 
and I get my iPad, and I'm uh, looking for my favorite math and science channels, and I come across this channel that says the real cause of ice ages. And I thought, oh, that looks interesting. So I clicked on it, and oh, my. By the time I got off the treadmill, I was a basket case. (laughs) So it was not a relief from the overwhelm that I was experiencing in terms of political and family stuff and change happening. And it came down to um, this uh, series. And, and I did end up watching the whole series, and then I ended up buying his books. And basically, to kind of go to the bottom line, um, in the interest of time here, what the planet is facing is a regular micronova that happens. And I'll just give a little hint as to how this guy discovered this. Um, this guy was, uh, his name is Doug Vogt, V-O-G-T. And he was an accountant, and he was also he had a small publishing company, and he published scientific um, papers, scientific journals for I don't know who. But uh, he started reading these papers. He gets interested in astronomy and star systems. And being an accountant, he starts making this database of how far away the stars are from the planet, from our planet. And pretty soon he notices that there's no stars, um, and I'm just going to generalize here instead of getting into specific numbers. There's no stars 12,000 years out from the planet. And then he, you know, he keeps on building his database, and he realizes there's no stars 24,000 years out. And there's no stars 36,000 years, light years away. And there's no stars 48,000 light years away, and there's none 60,000 light years, and there's none 72,000 light years. And at that point, he says, what the heck? Where is this regular, what is causing this gap in the stars? And to kind of, you know, jump to the next piece, he realized that there was really not a gap in the stars, but that they, every 12,000 years, they were obscured by this massive dust cloud. And at that point, the question became, wow, where's that dust cloud coming from? And then, you know, he started working, putting pieces together, doing really what was some um, amazing, uh, you know, detective work in terms of astronomy. And he was not um, indoctrinated into any of the educational systems that were teaching this is how to look at the stars and this is how to think about the solar system and this is, you know, et cetera. So he didn't have all that, which is baggage. Um, and so he was able to see, oh, goodness, excuse me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so he was able to see what was happening. And, um, and what he figured out, bottom line, you know, skipping over a lot of detail here, is that about every 12,068 years, because these rings of dust are almost exactly 12,068 years apart, um, the sun goes through this thing called a micronova in which it blows off 12,000 years of dust and accumulated, you know, stones and rocks and pebbles and asteroids and whatever and cleans itself. And 
And that compression wave, when it blows, there's a compression wave that hits the earth and the side that's facing the sun gets uh, compressed. And when you compress a gas, the temperature goes up. And the temperature was estimated to go up to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And, um, and about 17 hours later, the dust cloud would follow the initial compression wave. And that dust cloud would be massive. It would have stones and rocks and asteroids and you know dust and all kinds of crap and corruption in it. And that would hit whatever side was facing the sun at that point, and it would pulverize everything. And then it would also blow away the atmosphere on that side of the planet. And the atmosphere, being a gas, would then fill in evenly all the way around the planet to replace what got blown away. And the result would be these massive 200, 300-mile-an-hour winds that would come from all directions around the planet. And so part of the planet would be on fire from the compression wave. Some of it would be pulverized from this massive dust cloud. Some of it would be blown away from the winds. And when you, when the planet got hit by the, um, the dust cloud, it had the cap- capacity to stop the planet for just a moment and to unsettle it, and for if the planet stops, that doesn't mean the oceans will stop. So the oceans would roll right across the continents, wiping out everything, and and so there, right there was that was the end of the story. It was like, oh no, wow. um, here we are fussing about Trump. Here we are worrying about climate change. Here we are fighting over the silliest things. What are we doing to really understand our solar system, our sun, the relationships uh, you know, that exist, the cycles of all of that, and to prepare to survive? So then I thought, no, he's got to be wrong. There's something wrong with his theory. So I started going back looking for... Um, evidence of, you know, that was why I ordered his books to see if I could find some flaws in the theory. A couple of things, you know, that I thought were questionable maybe around his assessment of uh, numbers like cubits and things like that. But um, the more that I looked, the more that I read, the more that I expanded my search, the more I realized that... um, that this guy was probably absolutely correct, and the next micronova is due sometime between now and 2046, mm-hmm. and that we had best prepare. So in the meantime, I realized that the Mayan calendar system was really uh, an attempt to track those cycles, because there are minor cycles and there are major cycles of destruction, and that that they had a little story that they, or a little, a book, I think it was in um, a book by Hun Bat's Men, Um, and he was talking about the various suns, and, you know, the, the second sun had very strong winds, worse than tornadoes, 
and the third sun brought big deluges that submerged many places. And I think the fourth sun, um, humankind was almost exterminated by fire. Um, and we're in the time of the fifth sun, and um, and that we are due for destruction. And everybody who doesn't know how to live on the land is not going to make it. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, this is not giving me the evidence I'm looking for. <laughs> and so finally I had to um, realize that I, I think that the uh, government, the U.S. government, has been preparing for this. There's a huge amount of evidence that they have known since the 1960s that this is a regular cycle. They have dug humongous tunnels and underground cities that they will go to um, because the sun will give us indicators that it is getting ready to blow and we'll know ahead of time. Yeah. Um, there's. Uh, I have to interrupt just because we're down to about two minutes and I want to make sure that I cover the fact that we are obviously have some challenges in front of us what do you suggest that we do, us, us people out there, right? I think there's only a few really good options. Um, the best one, we need to develop consciousness. Mm-hmm. This reality system is a result of the level of consciousness that we are living at. I have so much experience. With a huge, I won't even go into that, but a huge amount of experiences that I've had that indicate that we can slide into other reality zones and and that it'll look and sound just like this one, but the detail that I want to be different is that there's no micronova <laughs> in that other reality zone. Um, other than that, if we can't do that, we can develop our consciousness so that when and if a micronova hits and we get wiped out, we can step right into that next mm. world. Mm-hmm. So um, there's that, and and my friend the sun says prepare. Okay. So what that looks like? Do we want to build a house on a mountaintop somewhere? Do we want to take up a residence in caves? Do we want to build our own underground cities? What do we do? We have at least eight or nine years, I think, to do something. We can get a lot done in that time. Yes, we can. Uh, For my listeners, my guest is Penny Kelly, and I'm going to quote something from your book, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes. And the robes basically say, humankind needn't suffer at all if there could be a little more development of the human body-mind system. So please read Penny Kelly's book, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4, Trump, the Sting, the Catastrophe Cycle, and Consciousness. Read her book, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes, and find Penny Kelly at consciousnessonfire.com. Thank you so much, Penny. You're so welcome. Blessings to you. Lots of love. Thank you for your work. Thank you. Bye, everybody.